Hi, Louie. Hey, Gavin. How are you doing? Oh, I'm quarantined, but I am blessed and highly favored, okay? <laughs> oh, me too. Booked and blessed, clearly. <laughs> Booked, yeah, the bookends are the front door and the back door, okay? We are <laughs> homeward bound, Sally Field. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Mixed Reviews in this very trying time. We are a film podcast in which we take a subject such as an actor, director, or mini-genre, and we do a whole history, and we talk about the good, and we talk about the bad, and we mix it up. Gavin, did you say whole history? <laughs> whole history. Wow, you really haven't gotten out, have you? <laughs> no, you have been I staying have indoors. Listen, that's good though. That's good. I calculated today that I've not been outside in twenty days. So twenty I'm, years. Gavin I'm doing has fine. not left in twenty years. It's for um everyone's safety, truly. Yes. Um uh yeah, I mean I have been outside um once in a while, but very much not a lot, and very much not leaving my neighborhood at all. Um, yeah. But uh Yes, it's a very weird time and um, getting scarier by the day, um, but we're here to have a good time and maybe, you know, think about things that aren't too scary, like some of our favorite actors and their good movies and maybe they're not so good movies. Absolutely. It's it's funny, too, because the funny the fact that you're like, oh, I've been outside, but I... Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think most of the people in our audience know that we both live in New York City. We're both Brooklyn people. And so, uh, yeah, it's scary here. Uh, hopefully Very it's scary. not as scary as where you are. And just yes. thank you so much for listening. <laughs> well, yeah, while thanks for listening. Stuck here. Yeah, and it's... And I, I Really quickly, I just feel working from home sucks, but I also know that working right now is such a privilege. Um yeah, so absolutely. I, I, um, everyone, I feel your pain, whether you're working hard at home and I'm struggling through it, or, you know, you just got laid off. I have a couple friends who just got laid off and, um, struggling yeah. just to like pay for food and stuff. Um, there are resources out there for you. Please find them, um, and just be safe. And, um, you know, let's have some fun. This beat is sick, but we're not sick, <laughs> but we are not sick. Okay. No. <laughs> um gavin let's uh let's talk about last episode huh absolutely so our last episode was about the indomitable sally field just a true icon what a fun episode like i i don't, I don't think i've had that much fun watching for an episode in a long time i ended up rewatching soap dish again after with derek um <laughs> it's just i mean it, it's it's Soap Dish is the perfect quarantine um, movie for you guys out there. I believe it's on Amazon Prime right now. Um, but anyway, maybe we, maybe we'll do a little mixed reviews movie night and we'll invite people. And yeah, yes. OK, let's talk about that. Like maybe at the end, let's make them get okay. through it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, um, sneak preview. We might have a, a mixed reviews movie night. Everyone stay tuned. Um, we asked you guys to go on our Twitter to vote for your favorite Sally Field movie. Um I think this is the first time ever that one of our picks got zero percent. Um, nary yes, a pick. I, I was, I was saying that this morning. I was like, "Wow, I, uh, I never seen something that we've put on one of the polls get zero percent." So that is, yeah, a not, new record. Yeah, uh, not a soul um, chose Sybil. That came in at zero percent. 
Um, which, you know, she has a lot of good movies and I think a lot of standout things that people were it's like really, really passionate about. Um, so other came in at 13%. And some of those picks were Eye for an Eye, um, Places in the Heart, Absence of Malice. Um, my friend Maria definitely did pick Homeward Bound, Hallelujah, Justice for Sassy. Um, and uh, yeah, that was, so that was our other. Um, me and Gavin's pick Norma Ray came in at 30%. And kind of overwhelmingly, Steel Magnolias came in at 57%, um, which fair, valid, um, yeah, amazing movie. Great, classic. Amazing performance. We live, we laugh, we love. Um, but enough about Sally. <laughs> On to this episode. Uh, Gavin, do you want to tell um, our fine folks at home who we're talking about today? So this week we are talking about legendary star of stage and screen, activist first, and actor mm-hmm. Danny Glover. Uh, why Danny we- Glover. Yeah, why did we pick Danny Glover? What is the thought process? I think he he was on the the mind on the brain because of Sally Field. Honestly, we talked about him in um, Places in the Heart, which is the movie that she won her second Oscar for. And I think, I mean, all transparency. I looked at Gavin and I was like, "Do we need to do a dude? <laughs> we haven't done a guy yeah. in a while." <laughs> And um, I think we always have this conversation of like, okay, if we're going to do a man, we want to um, try and think really hard to at least do a POC. And um, and he was fresh on the brain. And we thought, wow, he definitely has a catalog of movies that would be interesting to get through. Um, we also talked about him previously in our Buddy Cop movies episode um, for his, I mean, kind of, uh, for better or worse, iconic um, role in Lethal Weapon, the franchise. Yeah, as Detective Murtaugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of been on the, on the, on the, the border of a lot of our conversations. I actually remember back when we started this venture and we were making our lists of people we want to do, that sounds dirty and we wanted to cover (laughs) and I put out Danny Glover knowing that when we eventually did come to him, he would be a challenge um not necessarily for his political stuff his political stuff we'll get to even though i would say on his on his charts like his political stuff almost outranks like there's more knowledge about his politics than there is about some of the roles he's played but uh i i knew we would have the issue that we sort of ran into when we did stanley tucci and we we've started come to refer to this as the stanley tucci effect uh where famously yeah exactly where Danny Glover shows up in a lot of things. He puts his power behind a lot of stuff, but he's not necessarily a main. Sometimes he's no. not even, you know, sometimes he'll show up in a movie. Like I watched the Rainmaker and he's uncredited. Right. <laughs> and I, so like, I fully, when I realized that he played a judge, I was, I was like, and this movie's not about the judge. No, ma'am, I'm not watching. <laughs> but like, just to give you guys like um, a bigger picture of this in 2010, he had, at least 10 projects come out same thing in 2016 he has like so many things where he's like i'll be on set for the weekend and then i'm going yeah and and he's such a world traveler you know he uh i was listening to interviews with him where he had just come back from south africa and then was going to cuba the next day and was only stopping over in the u.s to do this interview or like he he's 
uh, prolific in many realms besides uh, acting. And it's he's just such an interesting character. But I knew that, like, deep down, it would be such uh, a, a challenge to both of us to to really talk about, like, what's important when it comes to Danny Clover and who he is. Uh, and I just I think he's so fascinating and su- such a passionate person. Right. Such a such a character for sure. Um, I think we're going to get into it while we talk about his movies. So, Gavin, why don't you kick us off into our rewind? Daniel Lieber and Glover was born July 22nd, 1946, which means he is 73 years old. So, you know, not spring chicken, right. but, but been around the block a bit. He was born in <laughs> San Fran. You know, that's what they call it, right, Louis? That's no one fucking calls it San Fran. <laughs> I will murder. I just, I just know what buttons to press. So you he's sure born in do, San honey. Francisco. <laughs> uh, to his parents, Carrie and James Glover, both of which were postal workers, but they were also active members of the NAACP, which is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. I know everybody knows what they are. But it's always nice for like the one person in the audience who doesn't know what the NAACP stands for to know what it means. Could be a hundred people in the room. Exactly. Just need the one who doesn't know what the NAACP is. (laughs) Yeah. And we're here and we got you covered. Okay. Yeah. So his parents were big in working to the the advancement of equal rights. He was born with epilepsy. Uh, I haven't found a ton about this. And he suffered pretty regular seizures until he was 35 wow which yeah i i had not known about this before we get began researching this um mm-hmm. it's really fascinating uh he attended college at san francisco state university in the late 60s uh he did not graduate from this college but it is an important part of his story you know he, t- he talks about his parents a lot and he talks about growing up and watching the marches and watching uh, his parents celebrate uh, the Cuban Revolution. So when I'm looking at my mom, as I think about that now, not at nine years old, but now as I think about those moments where we sat in front of the television as a family and watched people marching, people making demands, people fighting for change, and they're being in, in a nonviolent way, in a passive way. And then those were the things that influenced my early life. And just to give you his idea, the idea of his political background, but when he attends San Francisco State University, the FSSU, he uh, joins the Black Student Union, and along with the Third World Liberation Front and the American Federation of Teachers, he collaborated in a five-month-long student-led strike in an attempt to establish a Department of Black Studies at the college. And the strike was the longest student walkout in U.S. history. It helped create not only the first Department of Black Studies, but also the first school of ethnic studies in the United States. It's interesting because he mentions, you know, a lot of people think about Berkeley as like the birthplace or a very important place for um, civil rights and student activism. But he says, you know, SFSU was a workers, um, a working man's um, state school. You know, Berkeley was obviously very important, but that's where rich kids and like really elite, um, super smart people went. And SFSU was you know, teachers and just a bunch of working people. And so um, I think a lot of that uh, contributes to his, um, you know, his, his, his political um, feelings and, and just really fighting for, you know, um, 
the the layperson and and especially fighting against the man which we see like until now absolutely i mean <laughs> don't even get him started on on u.s politics don't moment. even get him um, started i will say this upon looking into uh his uh finding interviews and finding clips that i'm going to put in the episode they'll be littered about the episode he is such a wonderful speaker but not a succinct man at all Mm-mm. his his stories are long as they are insightful but i <laughs> i will try and pare him down as much as i can for the episode purposes uh after glover leaves college he he gets work in the city administration working on community development um but he sort of starts to transition to theater you know he talks about being in college and and getting involved in you know essentially being told that like they needed black actors and you know he started to move towards stage stuff there i felt that doing this i could be of some use mm-hmm. baraka came into the bsu office one day and said i want some of you so-called revolutionary brothers to come be in these plays i had i was 20 years old i had never been on stage in my life never never been other my mother used to used to used to admonish us because she said, why is it why is it all my kids always all they do is holding palms in the, in the, in the, and don't have a line, yeah. don't have nothing to say. And we saying, well, I'm sure glad I just all I had to do is hold, hold one of those palms in the Easter pageant at church, you know. His first major theater involvement was the American Conservatory Theater, uh, which was a re- regional training program in San Francisco. Uh, but he also trained under Gene Shelton at the Shelton Actors Lab. And Glover really credited Gene Shelton uh, for much of his development as an actor. And so we've talked about sort of the master actor teachers before, even just more recently in our Sally Field episode. So Gene Shelton was really his mentor, got him into the acting scene the way that he did. Um, and and he resigned from his city administration job and then became um, a stage actor. He moved to Los Angeles. And while he was in Los Angeles, he starts becoming a stage actor. He eventually ends up being in the original 1982 Yale repertory cast of Master Harold and the Boys, which is a Fugard play. It's set uh, in the 50s in South Africa during apartheid. And yeah, he's in the original cast. And and really this play sort of focuses him into the realm of not just being an actor, but being a full-on activist. I began with Fugard. I like to say to people, and I've said it often, that had it not been Fugard and the writing, his writing, I perhaps might, would not have been an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about the work itself, the way in which he tells the story, the way in which he uh, writes, which are beautiful for actors to work with. I mean, I mean, he is... It's certainly the 20th century version of uh, some of the great, great, uh, at least this half of the 20th century, some of the great playwrights in, uh, in America and in the world. The, certainly the values of acting, uh, certainly the values of listening, of, of making choices, are so ever-present in his work. And I get a chance now to say what I've always thought with his play said. Uh, what is this, this dynamic about being a human being? What is the dynamic about change and struggle that that is a part of the human di- experience? It's funny, too, because the play transfers to Broadway within the same year, 1982, which is a rare thing to move from Yale Repertory Theater to Broadway. And yeah, so, so he fast. takes. Yeah, absolutely. So he takes that role on Broadway. 
and it's actually you know he's he starts doing you know some movie stuff here and there he does an episode of bj and the bear but his very first credited film role as inmate in escape from alcatraz the mm. um clint eastwood film uh i did not see this louis i don't know if you saw this it's no. not <laughs> no yeah 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 i didn't think so um he's in a movie called choo choo and the philly flash it's not until 1984's Iceman that he's really starting to cross over in the mainstream. I saw Iceman. It's not a huge role, but it is an ensemble role. But unbeknownst to him, there was actually a casting agent in the audience while he was doing Master Harold and the Boys. Um, this deep play, as we mentioned before, you know, that play ran for 344 performances on Broadway. Wow. So it was it was long running. And this casting director saw him. And instantly was like, oh, he's my Mose in Places in the Heart. Mm. And so he gets cast in his first leading role. Once again, this is like his fourth film. He's done a lot of TV in between. But in 1984, he plays Mose, one of the three leads in Places in the Heart. It must be close to 40 acres out there. I reckon with the right kind of help, you make yourself a handsome living just bombing cotton. All you need is somebody like me who knows most everything there is to know about farming cotton. Now, now I was thinking that maybe I can work around here for food and a place to stay. No, no I can't give you any work. I could fix you some breakfast and then you've got to leave. Ain't no such thing as a job nowadays, ma'am. I'm sorry. Now, I'll fix you a nice plate of food. You go on wait out there, I'll bring it to you, okay? He's, like, in his 30s already when he does this, right? He started acting late. For other people as well, a lot of times when you when you think about actors, you think about them... I feel like most actors nowadays even start earlier, but I, I find most actors, most famous actors, start late teens, early 20s, you know? Oh, yeah, the, yeah. And Danny Glover is not... You know, he's in his 30s already by the time he ends up getting these roles. That's why but, you always see him in his movies. It's always like, oh, he's always playing like a dad or like some sort yeah. of father figure. And it's weird because I think for like mainstream America, you kind of see Danny, no matter what, when you see him, he's like always playing some kind of like older um, gentleman person. And so when you see Places in the Heart, I remember me and Derek were like, oh, my God, he's so young. <laughs> like it's the young. I mean, it's truly the youngest thing you can see him in. Um, in, in, a, in a very like prominent role um, but even then he's kind of like you know he, he you never see him as like a young man and it's interesting too because it's a year later after places in the heart comes out and he's already like a speeding bullet he's off he's in witness in 1985 silverado in 1985 and of course the color purple in 1985 yeah. and i think the color purple is a huge boon for his career yeah, I, I mean, I would even argue, like, doing Silverado, like, yeah, th these are all, I mean, so Silverado especially, that is a movie that they probably wrote for, like, one black person. There is one black person in this movie, and they cast Danny Glover. Like, it is different, The Color Purple, it's a black cast, Um, but, like, he's arguably, like, he's, like, the male lead in it. Yeah, uh, for, I, for as awful and nasty as the character of Mr. is, yeah. you know, he's one of the most memorable things about it because... He, you know, he is one of the only men in the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I never, I never seen Silverado. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. I think he's good in it. I kind of like like the chemistry with him and the other guys. 
Um, it's like a fun Western. You know? Yeah, I had a good time. I watched Silverado for this as well for the first time. Um, I had no idea it was Lawrence Kasdan. It's very much a Lawrence Kasdan film. Um, the music and- also is incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that's really remembered about it is the score. Uh, but uh, Lawrence Kasdan, we've talked about before because he does eventually go on to make a movie called Grand Canyon with Danny Glover, which yes. is not good, um, but is one of the it many is. films uh, that um, Danny it's Glover... It's the original Crash. <laughs> yeah, it's the original Crash, exactly. It's one of the many films Danny Glover ends up doing with Alfred Woodard. So you'll see mm-hmm. her many times along in, the, in his career as well. But uh, former subject Alfred Woodard, I should say. Um, yes. But what's interesting about Silverado is it's very old time. Like it's the it was it was like watching a western as if the like seventies revisionist westerns had never happened. Like the Clint Eastwood mm. films had sort of never happened. But it, I, yeah. with better politics, obviously. But um, but it was like it was like the sort of John Wayne like like Saturday matinee, and very I love the fact. I love the fact that Lawrence Kasdan, when he's not writing about social issues like Grand Canyon, when he's doing his like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Silverado stuff is so much fun. And like genuinely harkens back to an era, like a much more innocent era. Oh, yeah. The the movie is um, you always feel like the movie is rooting for the right people. Like, you know, that in the end, like you're going on this great adventure and like justice will prevail. You know, like there will be comeuppance for bad guys. And but it's. It just feels nice, you know, like it, it doesn't feel like you need to like trick you or anything. Where's Jake? The Kendricks man got him. Is he alive? It's worse than that, Emmett. They took him at your sister's house. Her husband was shot. I don't know if he's gonna make it. So coming from that where he's not the lead he's part of this big cast um and it's only tangentially about like there's there obviously is a moment where you know uh, in silverado his father um and him you know because they are black have injustice um against them but it's only a little bit a part of that movie the color purple um is specifically about these black people and there's so much trauma and pain in this movie um it, it's it's you know it, it was the moment it was that girl you know like how many not like oscar nominations get it? like 11 um yeah it's i i will say that i think the movie is more about the women i think oprah and Whoopi are like oh yeah phenomenal um but and, and we've <laughs> definitely talked a lot about um the color purple in our Whoopi goldberg episode which is one of our earliest episodes but i would still recommend going back and and maybe giving a listen to it because she is also such a luminary and an icon yeah i mean all that to say that like the color purple for me is the moment where or the first instance of you see him tackling these big like iconic american black roles that you will see over and over again in his career and i think you know he looking at like the American pantheon of actors, like he holds a very like special specific place because he's like, I'm going to fucking tackle these roles that mean something. 
and um, have something to say about the black experience. Um, and it's like from like slavery to like modern day shit. He's like going to talk about injustice against black people. He doesn't give a fuck. He ain't worth it. He ain't worth it. Who you think you is? You can't curse nobody. Look at you. You're black. You're poor. You're ugly. You're a woman. You're nothing at all. You do right by me. Everything you even think about gonna fail. It's been a pleasure meeting all of you. Two years after he did The Color Purple, his big... I mean, he's already, at this point, basically a household name. And he gets his his big like action break which is lethal weapon it's funny because i think like he when he is not doing like socially minded work i feel like his baseline is very everyman and i think he does it very well seeing him in lethal weapon being the kind of straight guy to um good old what's his face's antics um i think he he's he's such a like i I see him as as the most quintessential American like family man, you know. Um, yeah, and, and, he, and he does it so well. Like I believe it, like every time. Well, it's it's funny too because he's also talked about that. You know, at the time, the impact of something like as as much of a monster as he is now, and what we didn't know back then, Cosby. You know, and and so yeah. this role was written as you know he's like a good dad. Like that's one of his things in in *Lethal Weapon* is he's like the good guy. He's there to match against Mel Gibson's craziness and um and Mel but cocaine use. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so he's he's this good family man. You know, a guy ready for retirement, and you know he's too old for this shit and whatnot. Who plays his and, wife? It's it's the singer um, Love. Uh, Darlene Love? Is it yes. Darlene Love? Yes, it is. It absolutely I is. I had completely... Yeah, it is. Oh my god. Yeah, I love seeing her and everyone. I'm like, girl, yes, you got the job and you kept the job. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> I completely... I've seen all four of those movies for our Buddy Cop episode and did not realize that was Darlene Love. Good for her. Hello. Good for mm-hmm. her. Um, But yeah, so th- it really, like... It also cements him sort of in this in a weird way in sort of this action movie phase you know oh, yeah witness is where he plays the villain and witness is not an action movie but when you look at the way that looks and then you move on to something like silverado and then you move on to something like lethal weapon suddenly he's like it's like normal to see danny glover with a gun in his hand right. it's like you know yeah you believe that he can like kick anyone's ass even though you're like this is suspicious <laughs> Abs- absolutely um he he does you know bat 21 next and then he does the lonesome dove tv miniseries which i i mean there's like a billion lonesome doves i i just avoided them i don't know if you delved into that no 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 (laughs) um but uh you know but but each of these is an important step in his career because it's really you know moving him up giving him money so he can put his activism into work as well in 89 he does lethal weapon 2 which uh i talked about on the buddy cop episode it is wild it is only because i was like researching him now when i was watching the movie i was like oh my god the late 80s they love like south africa was the like 
version of what Russia and China would become as far as like villainy goes. Um, yeah. And like the villainy of Lethal Weapon 2 is all about how these South Africans who have these crazy funny accents and they just fucking hate black people, period. And and then reading about his activism, I was like, holy fuck, he was like at the forefront right. of fighting against the apartheid. And it's funny because you're going to see this again and again and again. And it's I think the closest we come and I, I feel bad that I keep referencing past episodes. But really, if you've been listening since the beginning, I feel like we're building sort of a weird canon of, of information. <laughs> uh, but really, it's sort of like Jane Fonda in the late 60s when she suddenly yes. starts putting her money where her mouth is in terms of politics. And she decides to make her career in the 70s and the 80s and, and early 90s before she retires from acting all about her political beliefs. And yes. really, even in the in the things that you you don't necessarily think are political he's finding avenues to 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 play with them you know that like i said he he talks about cosby sort of sort of remodeling the way people saw black people as father figures there's that you mentioned south africa stuff um in like a, it, lethal weapon 2 comes out in 89 but the next thing he does is he produces and stars in this very small independent film called to sleep with anger in 1990 it's a yep. charles burnett film um, he is the antagonist in the, in it. It's a, it's a film about, um, a family, uh, an old friend of theirs comes to stay with them from California and he, he is maybe an evil spirit. He is maybe yeah, the say, like, devil himself. Heard of magical realism. I don't know. Yeah, it is. And it's an interesting movie because it is, um, there was a review written in February 12th of 2019 that, is entitled to sleep with anger is the greatest black american film ever it's from the stranger.com and uh this author charles mudidi uh argues that it is in fact the greatest black american film because it is a film ab about black people where they never um feel themselves to be black and it's like, mm. you know, when white people, when you watch white movies, uh, like, and the examples he gives is A Star is Born, Vice, The Favorite, um, the white people never feel themselves to be, to be, to be white. You know, they're in a drama. And if, if, if you look at all black films, especially, and he uses the example of, of 2019 and the previous year, like Black Panther is about black superheroes and Green Book is about a black pianist and Black Klansman is about a black detective and how that weighs on the, the consciousness and Sleep With Anger is about people. And I, and I thought that was a really interesting, um, I had seen it before, but I rewatched it for this, uh, a really interesting avenue for me to think about going into it because it really is. So it's really the story about these people and, and a clash between, um, toxic reality and, and the reality they built for themselves, a clash between the old ways and the new ways, a clash between religion and, and maybe some, some not, you know, some, like you said, magical realism. Right. I also think the movie is very about like awful masculinity and mm -hmm. I might be, I might be out of my lane in saying this, but like black masculinity. And I think that happens to a lot of POC, certainly in my experience, like Latino male households where it's like, you have to be the macho guy. 
And I think uh, the character, especially of him butting up against that woman who is like, I am not the woman I used to be. I've found God. I And she, I, like, she is a badass woman. I, I can't remember her yeah. character or her name. But she says, I'm not going to sing because you want me to sing. I'm going to sing when I want to. And and you're. Tr- I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you're trying to do. And I'm not the one. And right. It, she can see. She can see through him always throughout the entire film. Let's get Hattie to sing a song from the old days. She used to keep them juke joints steaming. All right. Harry always tries to be the kingfish. I told him I'm a different person now. I'm saved. It's funny, the first time I ever heard of this movie was uh, we have this great monthly, or had when we could go outside, a great (laughs) monthly film series at the IFC Center. uh, And it's about queer cinema. It's held on Mondays. And the first time I ever heard about this movie was in 2015. A black queer artist had them play it as their selection. And, And they talked about like, the queer readings of the movie as well the outsiderness and yeah yeah i think uh, when i was watching it i was like there's there's this thing about you know obviously religion as salvation um but a lot of it is also just like in in of that is like rejecting the way things have been and the awful like patriarchal way things have been and just like being good and like loving yourself which i think is a very queer thing to do, you know, not trying to look for acceptance outwardly, but inwardly. Um, so yeah, I, and I, it's funny because when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, I don't not like Danny Glover being like scary dude. I do not like it. It's so uncomfortable, <laughs> but um, he was but I lo- it's effective. Yeah, I, lo- I love that he took a chance on this small film and and listen, it, it didn't make a huge impact when it came out. Um, it fell on the you know the mostly white reviewers deaf ears um in fact i believe i read one review where they they flat out said it was overrated and i was like this is a new <laughs> movie uh how dare <laughs> like, how dare you yeah you can um, overrate something that just came out honey <laughs> um but you know he he did take his chance and and from there you know he starts going back to doing the hollywood movies he does predator 2 which i think is kind of a miscast but okay it's i the only thing i'll say about predator 2 is that when i was watching it i was like is this movie actually secretly subversive because in a world like this is 1990 when no hillary clinton and co were calling black people super predators like but predator is an actual predator you know like the movie is ridiculous like i'm not trying to say it's a good cinema or art at all but I think it's a good, like, black people and, like, people of color are not, like, actual fucking predators, you know? Like, right. relax. I I also think that's a testament to what happens when you start thinking about Danny Glover and how Danny Glover would like you to see his career, is that even in the roles that he probably took for money, um, you know, and in that movie he's a hero, but you're right, like, there is some subversive quality to it. Um uh, you know, you get this sort of like underlying political message. Um, he he goes on to play a kind of a secondary villain in the movie A Rage in Harlem, which uh, I watched and it was fun. It's weird because it was written as a comedy and it wasn't made as a comedy. 
Um, <laughs> but but it's it, but there's some pretty funny moments. I mean, he plays a, a gangster who's like in love with his Pomeranian, and that part's pretty oh, great. Same. Um, but uh, there's also a drag queen in that movie. I don't know. They're a big Kathy, <laughs> and I was like, mm. that's that's. I was like, that's a lot for ninety one. I was like, good, yeah. good for you, ninety one. Did you watch Pure Luck? I did watch Pure Luck. Pure Luck is also 91. Uh, Once again, we mentioned he works. Pure Luck with Martin Short, right? Yes, correct. I had seen Pure Luck many times as a child. Um, Mm. I I had never seen it. Oh, really? I saw it the first time and I was like, comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I I will admit this scene where uh, Martin Short gets stung by a bee still makes me laugh really <laughs> yeah that's the one I though that's i don't that's know the one. I, I i might have chuckled a couple times she's a tr- <laughs> this movie's a try hard if i ever saw it okay i also forgot that that movie doesn't really end no 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 <laughs> it, it does not it tries to end like 10 times and then doesn't and then it's over <laughs> we mentioned grand canyon which comes along in 1991 lethal weapon 392 because they were just pumping those lethal yeah. weapons out yeah. But uh, in 93, I feel like it was sort of a turn back towards his political films. I don't know if you saw the film The Saint of Fort Washington. Oh, um, I sure did, came, honey. Uh, I I liked it. I don't know how you felt about it. I don't know if I want to talk about it. This is with Matt Dillon, right? Yeah, with Matt Dillon. Uh, they're mm-hmm. both homeless men. Um, uh, he plays Jerry. He sort of adopts Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon is a... Uh, Matthew, I believe. Yeah, Matthew, who is suffering from uh, schizophrenia, and he is trying, like, he he doesn't really know how to be a homeless person, and and Danny Glover's whole goal is to, like, to to open a fruit stand, and I, I don't know, I really fell in love with these characters, I really, I really liked the message of the film, you know, it, I, I thought there was a, a quiet dignity to the way that they portrayed homelessness in the early 90s um and the indignities of the way that people treat them um the indignities in which you know the the fighting amongst each other and yeah i thought i i don't know i thought it was an interesting movie i'd never seen it before leave me alone little leroy who the fuck said that it's jerry it's none of your business old man anything reaches my ears touches my eyes is my business Leroy, man entitled to give away his goods if man wants to. Now he nothing to you. What you button in for? He's something to me. Your relative. The fuck you mean your relative? You full of shit. My son. He white. You talking skin tone? You motherfucking right. I'm talking skin tone. What the fuck you think I'm talking? Skin tone means shit, little Leroy. He blacker than you, matter of fact. He's my son. Name's Matthew. Come on, Matthew. We gotta go now. You've seen enough TV. Okay. It definitely... I I don't think there are a lot of movies like it. And um, I I agree that they give a lot of... I don't know. It's hard because there are certainly a lot of homeless characters in the movie who they do give a lot of dignity to. But then there's also a lot of characters... What's the villain's name? Um, the, the actor, uh, um, the, the actor's Ving Rhames, Ving Rhames, yeah. like his character, they also have, 
I mean, they have to show like there are there are horrors of being homeless and not just of like living on the streets, but it's yeah. like dealing with other homeless people who maybe are not as kind or you know whatever. Uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough movie. It's not a fun movie to watch by any means. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, I think uh, it's a good like palate cleanser. I think though for Danny Glover after so many like. Uh, lethal weapons and predator and stuff yeah absolutely in 93 he also does bopa which is uh morgan freeman directed film about apartheid in south africa he plays a cop his son is uh a protester his wife is played by alfred woodard this is the third collaboration i don't think i mentioned the previous collaboration the second one which was uh mandela a 1987 tv movie where he played nelson mandela and she played his wife um she also plays his wife here is she not Sorry, in that's grand the canyon? first collaboration second no she is in grand canyon grand canyon was the second collaboration right uh bopa's yeah. the third collaboration um bopa's good and i'm a little shocked i had um i know there's been Stuff about Morgan Freeman that has come out that has made him seem a little less savory than we once thought he was. But barring that, I had no idea he was that talented behind the camera. Um, hmm. You know, the the movie was a critical hit, but a financial disaster. Come along now. I want you and your mother to go stay with your uncle and uncle. So what do I do, Bob? Go and tell my people my barber says I should run and hide now? Don't start playing Mr. Hero with me, Zoilaki. You must leave here. These are not bloody school games you're playing. They never were. I can't protect you anymore. I never asked you to. It's it's a good movie, and and I recommend, especially. I don't I don't know how great his accent work is, but I'm always a little leery when it comes to South African accents. But uh, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, but uh, but I I enjoyed it. Oh, you know what I did see in 1994 though? What's that? Me and about 10 million other children watched Angels in America. I mean, Angels in the Outfield, Angels in America. Oh, my God. I'm gay. Hello. Do, do, do. I'm going to leave that in. Um, yes, children I were did. I for Angels in America. <laughs> they were. No, the classic Disney movie, Angels in the Outfield, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. A, um, yeah. a, a a very grumpy Danny Glover and just truly a cast full of like a who's who of rising talent. Matthew McConaughey, um, Adrian Brody. It, it's it's full chock-a-block of characters. And it's, I mean, I rewatched it and uh, I Same. gotta say, first of all, Joseph Gordon-Levitt brings it, <laughs> brings it to the, I was like, damn, he is good. Brings um, it to you every ball. Yeah, absolutely. Why are you gagging so? Um, but uh, that movie is wild. Uh-huh. It is, <laughs> it wild. is wild. Um, the First of all, the angels are crazy looking. Christopher they... Lloyd is like... <laughs> it, like Christopher Lloyd should not be around children. I'm not saying he's a danger to them, but I feel like at any moment he could be. I mean, he is the page master, okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I think the angels look really fucking cool. I think maybe that's what, like, I don't know, as a kid being like, oh, that's what an angel looks like. A fucking crazy, ethereal, very sporty um, hot person. Um, And, you know, like, spoiler alert, 
literally 10 minutes before the end of the movie, Christopher Lloyd tells Joseph Gorlevet that his favorite baseball player is going to fucking die. He's going to bite it in six months. Nonchalantly. Wait, he's just like, actor? who's the actor? It's though? Tony it's Danza. Tony Danza. <laughs> and, and Christopher Lloyd's literally like, well, he smoked. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> he smoked all, he smoked all his life. He's going to pitch this and win, but then he's going to die. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow. So good. So fucking good. This, um, this movie but... is a roller coaster, though, because it's like a, a high of, like, I mean, the high of the ki- Joseph Gordon Levitt coming out, doing the angel flap, and everyone's flapping their wings, and like, oh my God, it's gonna be great. And they're like, oh, but he's gonna die. And then it's down. And then back up again when Danny Glover, after like a season of baseball, is like, I'm adopting these children. <laughs> like, what? Yes. Well, that's it. I was gonna say, we're here to talk about Danny Glover. As you mentioned, Danny Glover, grumpiest of grumps alive. Yet some reason at the end of the movie is just like, I'm literally going to own you for the rest of your life, child. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's like, we had f- we had fun these last three months when you sat in the stands and I occasionally came to talk to you. But now I'm your dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, the woman who's like playing their foster mother is uh, absolute. Maggie. Yeah, she absolutely is the pigeon woman from Home Alone. My Hello? friend Kim told me that recently, and I had no idea. And I was like, holy shit. So, as yeah. soon as I clocked her, I was like, she had a type, and it was a loving mother figure. <laughs> but not quite. Roger, the person who called social service, that was me. I want to try to be a dad. I want you to come and live at my house. I, I can't. I- no, I, I can't leave JP. I can never leave JP. He's coming too. I don't want to spend too much time in it because I feel like we're talking about every movie in detail. True, but fair, I, I do fair. want to mention in in 1994, um, he and Ben Gilroy founded the Roby Theater Company in Los Angeles, which focused on theaters by and about Black people, which is a huge thing. Um, yes, Queen. I believe. Yeah, I believe it is still there to this day. Um, so good on them. I hope their mission continues. Um, they've garnered so many awards over the years, and it's amazing that he co-founded that. We wanted to do theater that in some sense encapsulates and develops material that expresses the black experience. The possibility of engaging children and everything else, and you bring them to watching live theater, and first of all, they they're awed by it and also i forgot to mention by the way his big like independent spirit award win for to sleep with anger um, oh yeah which yeah. which was like you know maybe the rest maybe it wasn't super acknowledged by the mainstream but that was sort of the acknowledgement that film needed um mm-hmm. totally uh he you know he goes on for the rest of the the 90s you know doing steady work doing, Steady work. He's in The Rainmaker, uncredited. I still don't know why. Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998. Ants in 1998, which we mentioned in our DreamWorks animation episode. Uh, I do want to pull the brakes real quick and talk about another film that came out in 1998, which is Beloved. Oh, it's not The Prince of Egypt? No. (laughs) Though he is Jethro in that. Because, you know. No, yeah. We we have to talk about Beloved, though. Toni Morrison wrote Beloved, and it's like one of the great American novels of all time. Absolutely. Uh, it is a it's a novel that uh, many people thought was completely unadaptable. Uh, Oprah Winfrey read it and she said she couldn't imagine it being made without her and Danny Glover. Yeah, she could just see. She snatched those rights before it was even published, I think. Like she got the rights early. Yeah. 
And it's, it's, I understand why it was thought as unadaptable. It's a hard film. It's a film, uh, like on paper, it's a film about a woman who's haunted by the ghosts of the daughter that she killed rather than have her be re-enslaved while she was trying to escape slavery. Um, off paper, it's, it's a film about racism. It's a film about rage. It's a, it's a film about denial, um, and, and past sins and, you know, trauma, so mm-hmm. much trauma, shared trauma. Yeah. It, it's a hard film. It is, it is not by any means an easy film or an easy story. And I get why people might have thought it would be unadaptable. Um, she gets Jonathan Demi involved. He is white, but that's okay because he's awesome. But he is also, you know, Academy Award winning director. So, um, and I think he brings a real, um, uh, you know, as as artsy as you can get in the mainstream quality to it. You know, he brings some of the stuff that he brings to uh, all his films. He brings like the direct address. Um, the, it the feels angles. very haunted. Like the angles yeah. are crazy. I remember I, I had not watched this movie before. Had you watched this before? I actually had seen most of it. I don't think I'd ever seen the full thing. No. I, so this I was my first seen, time. Yeah, I never seen it. I didn't. I've never read Beloved. I did not know what this movie is about. Um, I I only knew about it in the um, the way that it's kind of like a punchline. You know, like. Yeah. It was a very big Oscar-y, buzzy movie. It kind of fell flat on its face. It was kind of right. a commercial disaster. I mean, it made money, but not as much as, you know, right. the Club well, Purple. Th- exactly. And that's sort of the crazy thing is, like, it made money. Um, it's one of those things where, like, I often go back to Waterworld where, um, mm. you know, people think Waterworld is this huge disaster because it didn't make its money back right away. But Waterworld was also number one for the first two weeks that it was out so like it's hard to be like this movie is a disaster when it's so successful but you're right it it was not thought of as a success it was pulled from theaters um jonathan demi i believe was quoted as saying um disney pulled it from theaters so they could put Waterboy into more theaters um, yeah which i think is kind of suspect and not yeah maybe very truthful <laughs> But they they did pull it from theaters quick because they were going to try and do an awards push and uh, and it did, like you said it didn't it didn't I succeed think, in its awards push right I think like when you because Oprah was involved because it is a story about you know historical black significance it is automatically going to be compared to the color purple and in that sense it did not you know rise to that level um, I think Beloved is a very hard watch I think. Um, you know, it's a very different movie. I mean, Steven Spielberg is like a very classic American um, filmmaker. Yeah. And so it's an easier, even though it's very traumatic and hard to get through, like The Color Purple has um, a lot more emotional satisfaction. Beloved does not have, you know, a lot of um, catharsis no. in it. That's like, that's a really good way to put it. Um, it's so a really, I, it's a really fa- fascinating film. I watched it and I was like, I need to stop pause collect myself because (laughs) from the get-go there is some awful horrible imagery and i'm not there really is i'm not just talking about like the depiction of slavery which i've already talked about in previous episodes but like to animals and it's just um but all that being said it 
it showcases truly like what Oprah is um, able to do as an actress. Um, I think the performance of her daughter, Denver is genius. Such a good actress. Yes. Um, That actress is like uh, insane and, and brilliant. And I wish, uh, you know, had it beloved, not been considered such a disaster. I think we would see her everywhere. And Kimberly Elise is her name. And she, she gives the standout performance of the movie. Um, and in, in the face of all this like craziness, because when I t- I mean, it's not the movie, yes, is about slavery and um, trauma and pain, but there is a lot of like really elevated um, reality things that just feel very otherworldly. And she is so grounded, though. She is like this force of just like, you know, this woman who is trying to break the cycle, and um, and and she fucking kills it. Uh, Kimberly Elise, she's she's the bomb. She's the best in that movie. Uh, but I want to move on from that and, and just move on further. You get into the 2000s. Um, and I think what he's most known for in the early 2000s is 2001. He does the Royal Tenenbaums where he plays Henry Sherman. Yep. Um, and it's a very funny performance. Um, and then he really takes a chance and puts money into uh, this small independent horror movie called Saw. A little a little something you've never maybe heard of. <laughs> independent yeah. film. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, I mean, it was an independent film at the time. And it's funny because, like, um, I've heard, I've, like, listened to interviews about it. And he's like, yeah, I've never seen it. And they're like, what? <laughs> and and he, he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't do horror movies. I, I, I haven't seen Saw, but, but I, I, because I don't, I'm, don't horror films scare me. <laughs> watching them scare me. Always, <laughs> I'll make them, but I don't, I don't watch them. <laughs> well, no. But but on the on the one on one hand it was it, it it was behind the idea that the writer, a young twenty two year old, Asian from Australia had around it, and I bought into it. I bought into the violence in it and everything else. So I was able to find my my world. So the combination the character is not any specific character that I'd done before, and any other particular relationship that I'd had with the narrative within within the story and so but this was new to me so it was challenging to me in a sense i i'm with you i feel you i've seen saw i've seen a lot of the saws i did not rewatch i was like i'm me not neither. gonna put i'm not gonna put myself through it no 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 yep um he also does and i just want i just want to put a, a small shout out in 2003 he does a tv movie for showtime called good fences where he plays thank Bobby you, Goldberg's gavin. husband. thank you oh. gavin Good, because I really liked this movie, um, and I thought they're both incredibly great in it. And it it's uh, Ernest R. Dickerson is the director, um, and he is um, he's uh, like the cinematographer of Spike Lee, isn't he? Yeah, I was gonna say he's a Spike Lee acolyte, and you see a lot of that in this movie. Um, it's Absolutely. very stylish, and which is not to say that Ernest R. Dickerson doesn't have his own style, but you always see that when you see somebody who's who starts with some, you know, when you look at Barry Sonnenfeld's early work, you like see the Coen brothers, like that's how it works. Um, but I would highly recommend watching this movie. It's for free on Amazon Prime, and it's it's good and it's interesting, and uh, it's about racial um politics in the 70s and yeah it's good i will say that i don't know that i don't think it lands everything it wants to no but it is very interesting i think whoopi's very good monique very good monique so very good uh the score is terrible the score is maybe <laughs> one of the worst is... scores yeah literally like, <laughs> like please 
Please. Fire, like, like retroactively fire that person. Whatever you paid him, steal it from him. But yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's funny. I was watching it. There is a moment where the young son has like this sexual fantasy come true with his like best friend's mom, who is like, this Asian yes. woman. And I was like, huh. We're trying to break down all these racial things, and yet the one Asian woman in this movie becomes a sexual conquest. Well, well, yeah, well. Yeah. Well, I just well, wanna, well. I just want to say, this movie is, a, it has some flaws, but it is very interesting, and um, I think he's very good in it. How many of them drop by? As you know. One of us on their block, fine. Two of us, maybe. But three... Three is the apocalypse. Everything we've worked for, every step we've taken has led us to this very moment in time. Now it's up to us to choose sides. I don't really see what we can do about it, Tom. I'm sorry, but this time it's not we, baby. It's you. Um, What? Though I've spent my whole life getting us to the goal line, it turns out that you're the one who's going to win the game for us. What are you talking about? Just stroll over there, find out how she's doing. Then tell her, nobody pays cash for a house no matter how much they have. So as you move into the, move further into the 2000s, you know, he takes a, a reoccurring role on ER as Charlie Pratt Sr., uh, much much like our previous subject. Sally He's play, playing, yeah, Sally Field, playing the father of one of the main characters. Um, and I think, like, what I'm really, what I'm really starting to get to in the 2000s is this is starting to become, I think, the Danny Glover that we more know nowadays. Like, there's no, there's no more Lethal Weapon franchise, really. You know, no. Richard Donner apparently still wants to make a five. I don't know why. Psycho. Um, yeah, but the, you know, you start to get the I do one for them, and then I do a bunch for me, and a so, bunch. And, and the thing is, is like. A lot of these are still black focused or politically motivated films because he does do dream girls, but then he mm-hmm. does, you know, a bunch of smaller films or he does something like shooter, which is like very much a, a Hollywood sort of action movie, but has like a political message about how like the, the entire political system is corrupt and everything. And it's a, not a great movie, but you see why he did it. He does, uh, Honey Dripper for John Sales. Um, yeah, John, I saw Honey Dripper. John Sales is the director of Passion Fish, uh, so we brought that we brought him up before. Uh, Be Kind Rewind for Michelle Gondry in tw- two thousand eight. Uh, he does the TV series Brothers and Sisters. <sighs> yes, he plays the recurring role of Isaac Marshall. I don't know if you. I didn't watch. I was gonna say I didn't watch that show, so I don't know much about. I watched every episode, but I do not remember. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. It, I thought you my, might. That's the only reason. It was my drunken days of a, as an undergraduate at a women's university, so who knows what happened. The only reason I brought it up is because I thought you might remember. But it, <laughs> um, uh, you know, he does Blindness, which is oh, a movie he, I hate, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it twice we've before. We've talked. We will never be rid of this movie. <laughs> No, literally not. Blindness will haunt us till the end of days. Um, and then, like, and then it really starts to become, you know, he does, starts doing low-budget things. He does Night Train. He becomes an executive producer on this small film called The Jeremiah Bridge, which is the first uh, American, the first 
African-American film directed film to ever be shot in Japan. Um, he does 2012, the um, uh, Roland Emmerich disaster movie where he gets to play the president. I think that's the only reason he did that movie. Also, he plays Tandy Newton's father. And I was Crazy. really like, yeah, I was really disturbed because I had just watched Beloved and she had fucking raped him. And yes. I was like, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> um, when you when you realize that the child in Beloved is Tandy Newton, you're like, ah! <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's, it's she almost is. Too much. By, by the way, sidebar so good in beloved and i think she's honestly like i think she's sort of a butt of a joke for that role because she plays um essentially what a is ghost. a malevolent <laughs> yeah she plays a malevolent spirit disguised as a, a as a, a mentally challenged person um yes but like we said hard movie hard hard movie. hard movie um just real quick on 2012, I watched it. Um, it's fucking two and a half hours long. I wish I could get those hours back. And also, Roland Emmerich is such a, a, an awful... Like, his films are, are like, filled with people that you hate. Just so that when they die horribly, and which they will die horribly, you don't feel bad. And, I, and like, nothing is more manipulative than that. And I hate it. She got you, girl. She got she, you. She got me. Um, I was like, I said, no, ma'am. No, thank you. <laughs> he does the unnecessary American remake of Death at a Funeral at 2010. Yes. Um, and literally from there, it's five it, to six movies a year. And, and it, the it is the Nicolas Cage of he, Black he, America. He kind of has become that. But like I said, a lot of these movies come with, um, you know, a message or or uh, something political that he wants to talk about. You take a movie like The Children's Republic, which I'm sure is a movie um, that would never be made here. Um, it's uh, by Flora Gomez. Uh, he's an African filmmaker. Um, it's a movie about child soldiers. It's on Amazon Prime uh, for free. I think it's on a lot of other, like it's on Tubi for free. Um, the thing about a lot of these movies that I've come to to reconcile with myself is, you know, there's nothing more boring that a film critic can tell you than, you know, whether you should watch a film or not. Like there should be there there should be more context to what they're doing than just simply being like, I didn't like this. You shouldn't see it. Um I think a lot of these films are not necessarily what you would consider well-made. And I think right, on the right, surface level, right. you can look at them and be like, people shouldn't see this because it's perhaps not the best film that's ever been made. You know, it's not as polished. On the other hand, you know, it's funny because we, we talked about Kathy Bates directing a Lifetime movie. Like, that is different. Like, that was always going to be made no matter what. These right. are films that like probably wouldn't get made without Danny Glover's involvement. He's probably yeah. the 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 big draw of the movie, and he's really throwing his weight behind them. I don't know, and I, I really respect that in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways that like, you know, d d when I watched the Children's Republic, which like I said is like maybe over just a little over an hour. Um, when I watched Children's Republic, was I like, wow, this was the best constructed film I've ever seen or like the most original film? No, no on either account. But 
it was an important message and i totally see why he did it uh it's a film about um child soldiers in africa who through like a magical realism loophole have founded their own society because adults don't see them anymore and so they're running their own government in a small african town and he's the only adult that they can see and he sort of acts as their advisor i I think in this business there there are two things that happen the business is going to give you and present to you an opportunity for a few of us of the things they want you to do or the things that they have available for you to do. The question is always, what do you, what do you want to do? What are the things that you want to do? And I, and I tell people, I'm not, I'm not an actor if it had not been at the awful guard and the plays that I did. I want, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to always get a chance to do what I want to do in front of a camera you know, but I can facilitate the things that I wanted to do behind the camera or as a producer, whether it's films and the idea. I've always wanted to do films in Africa. You see a lot of that happening through. I mean, you still see some stuff that maybe doesn't have that message. You see things like Badass Two and Badass Three, or like Dirty Grandpa I in twenty sixteen. Two. Ugh. I was, was I was not gonna watch any of them. I can't I can't I, bring myself I was, to do. I it. was very choosy about like his later stuff, but I watched one of the badass movies. I watched um, uh, Waffle Street. Um, yeah, I watched Waffle Street, which which once again, like I got with the message, like was like kind of an anti capitalist message, but it, yeah. it but it looked like it was made as a um, an industrial safety video, like it had all the filmmaking of that. I, all I can say about Waffle Street is that I'm very glad that the hot guy from One Tree Hill is working. Um, <laughs> that which is which is so funny because I kept like I never watched One Tree Hill. My point of reference was the woman who played his wife. As I was like, yes, oh that was the. I was like, oh that was one of the pretty girls from the revival of Dallas. Yes, I, I <laughs> bitch. If you don't think I looked her up, okay, she is a Latina woman, okay. Yeah, I was like, sh- I was like, She's I've great. seen her in lots of Spanish speaking films. Anyways, um, all that to say. Uh, he definitely is, uh, I mean, I don't know, is he just making money to like, you know, because to this day, he is being super political. Like during this time, right. he is out there fighting for like, you know, the the nation of Haiti. He is out there, you know, right. talking shit about Barack Obama. He is, you know, fighting for Bernie Sanders. He is just doing a lot of things. <laughs> And and I'm gonna and I'm gonna wrap that up in in a moment. Uh, but I do just want to cover the last bit of his films. It's only oh, yes. like it's only within the last like two or three years he's decided to start doing bigger films again. Um, yep. and you know he does roles in things like Sorry to Bother You, which is still kind of a smaller film but plays to a larger audience. Sorry to Bother You is still very political, also very Bay Area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Old Man and the Gun with Robert Redford, which is also political and in a way, shape, or form. Um, last black man in San Francisco he did last year uh the dead don't die which is awful but um and <laughs> and Jumanji the next level was maybe the last like big movie he did um but like there was a that one yeah that one's purely money driven money I think um money. but but enjoyable I ended up yeah. watch, having to watch the first one because I had not scene of the first of the new jumanji movies and i was like oh, oh. i'll be lost oh. <laughs> so, please yeah um but yeah so that's sort of where he's at in his career now and like i like we mentioned before you know he he does he does stuff sort of 
in his political career and and that's sort of what drives him but i i do want to mention because uh we are talking about his political stuff uh well real quick on a personal note um he married uh asake bomani in 1975 and they have a daughter named mendisa who was born in 76 uh him and bomani divorced in 2000 and he married uh elaine cavaliero i might be pronouncing that wrong in 2009 um but in terms of activism uh we we mentioned the walkout um he's been a huge supporter of unions uh you know he supports the united farm workers unite here he's also supporting unions overseas um in the at the 2010 academy awards he he tried to lead a boycott to get people not to wear hugo boss suits um when hugo boss decided to close a manufacturing plant in ohio after proposed pay decrease from 13 dollars to 8 30 which was rejected by the workers united union there um, so he is very much uh, on their side. He's been arrested for his political beliefs before. Um, he very outspoken against George W. Bush. Uh, he was supporter of Prop 7 in California, which is not Prop 8. Don't get it twisted. Um, Please. As you mentioned, he's called out Obama for he's an equal opportunity. Um, you know, he didn't think Obama was left enough. Uh, he is a supporter of Bernie Sanders, as you mentioned. Um international i mean as i've said there's more stuff about his political activism online than there is about his movies right um i was just to say like i there's a lot about his politics that i think uh, you like you mentioned there's a lot written about him he's very outspoken about his politics he you know um uh has in the past been kind of friendly to Hugo Chavez, who is yeah. the dictator of Venezuela. He has said, you know, that he, uh, in, a, in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different places, he has very controversial um, beliefs. I'm trying to be very vague because I just don't know enough about all of it. No, and I think that I think that's the way to be as well, too, because like on I I listen to so many interviews of him and I've read so much stuff. And I still don't fully know either necessarily what to say. And I did worry about this because it is a bit of a political minefield. But right. I think he does. I think for a certain facet of people growing up in the time that he grew up, especially being a black person, he decided to study the politics of the world. I do think he is, for the most part, a very educated man when it comes to the politics of other countries he sort of made himself a student of the world in a way that like you know we were both born in the united states and we we have our own ethnocentric biases and i think he has freed himself of a lot of that for better or worse um so he has a very different perspective on you know what is politically relevant and what maybe isn't right and i mean like he's even like taking money from hugo chavez to try and make I, a movie before i did i did want to bring that up real quick and i do think it's an important thing to mention but i also don't want to speculate because neither of us fully knows the truth but yes right. he um uh a- according to sources uh he was supposed to start shooting in poland in uh 2007 um Hugo Chavez contributed 18 million, uh, supposedly, um, 
to, and it's to this for film. A film for a film about like an uprising in Haiti. So it's not like yeah. a random movie. It's a politically minded, right. focused movie about people uprising in Haiti right. to called Toussaint. Oh, yeah, right to overthrow you know the man, and so right. it's all in purpose of uh again this idea that uh danny glover is so passionate about and it's about you know unionizing power to the people and and supposedly in 20 in 2008 um the venezuelan national assembly also authorized almost 10 million more um apparently this really annoyed a lot of venezuelan filmmakers because the money was going from them to this movie that wasn't even about venezuela um danny glover has said in fact recently nonetheless he did not see a dime of this money and it is you know none of this money went to him he did not steal money from the people of venezuela um i don't i don't know what to think about that i can only go on what you know has been reported and right the film still hasn't been made comes back to like he's a very passionate right i yeah and i think i read the last thing about him was just that like he still wants this movie to be made um who knows if and when it will be made um i am sure that it i mean there were even like reports that like angela bassett and like he had people connected to this um this film um but uh, it, it is kind of a minefield he is very ready to talk ready to throw shit down about his politics and his beliefs um and i on, I was funny because I was thinking, I was like, have we covered someone as politically minded and focused as he is? And so it's really fu- funny when you mentioned Jane Fonda, I was like, that's that's maybe the only other person whose career absolutely is a little bit overshadowed by their political work um, because he is just the most outspoken. I tell people when I first heard about the Cuban Revolution, it was 1959 because my mother's and father's union was celebrating the victory of the Cuban uh, the victory of the Cuban Revolution. And every moment of that, I wanted to find out more about it. What was it about? What was that? Oh, when, I first began, when I first picked up an album at 19 years old by Marion McCabe, and Carrie Belafonte says that, says this so beautifully. He says, Paul Robeson once told him, get them to sing your song and they're going to want to know who you are. I wanted to know who they were. When we invited Hugh Masekela in 1970, on campus after after he had at had, 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 had his first album, we invited him on campus. The more and more, all those all those are the condition the conditions which often which which are the life condition. It's not often being an actor. It's but the, often the other things that you you're born in. You know, I mean, all this stuff. And that's the thing is, once you enter the field of politics, you're always going to make enemies. And and a lot of you know, very famously, Hanoi Jane and. So you yes. always make enemies that that will slander you for your political beliefs. And I think the most important thing to take away, because there's so much stuff and like, you know, Black AIDS Institute, the Jazz Foundation of America, he's everywhere. He has a medal of friendship from from Cuba. So like he's been everywhere and he's he's gotten all these awards and he he speaks out and his whole thing is about continuing um, to protest, continuing to try and make life better. Um, but I, it's always going to be difficult to talk about because you're always going to find someone who disagrees with you. Well, regardless listen, of, yeah. You know. Listen, like, I think, you know, it's, it's the whole Bernie Sanders thing of like, yeah, Cuba has really great, you know, healthcare, but like the awful 
things that happened to that country because of the dictatorship are fucking real and cannot be overlooked. Same with Hugo Chavez. You know, like, it's it's a very touchy subject. And all I will say is I think Danny Glover is passionate about workers and human rights. But it's sometimes very easy to get caught in the mud of like, yes, these countries do have that, but also have dictators who have been awful and killed people who have fled to the United States to be free from that. And that cannot be overlooked. And with that being said, you know, we are here really not to fully talk about his political career, but it is such an ingrained thing into his uh, acting career. But we are here to talk about his acting career. So I think that really sort of covers uh, our rewind and we've gotten to where he is nowadays. So why don't we move into our picks? And we'll start with our one-star reviews. Can I tell you that when, for all of the movies he's done, for all of the cheap things that he's made, for the stuff that you would not consider um, A-grade material, uh, I this was so easy for me. This okay. was so easy for me to pick out a one-star review. Um and I think he would agree. And I think he's on my side on this one. Okay, hit um, me. My one-star review is 1997's Gone Fishing. <gasps> Damn it! <laughs> that is my one-star review. Well, I mean, it's the worst. I am, <laughs> like, I am so shook. <laughs> it's... <laughs> because um, there, are, there are so many the, bad I'm things. I'm going to handle this I... real quick. Please. Oh, there are so many bad things. Well... I think I think what this boils down to, and I'm gonna I'm gonna describe to you in a moment, but this was this was a a movie made for wide release. And like yeah. you can forgive like some bad filmmaking, some maybe bad acting, um you can forgive all that stuff in a in a cheap movie because you kinda know it was made it was made by Scotch tape and passion, right? Right. This right. was not. Yeah, yeah. This, not this was one. made by not this one. No. This was made by Buena, Buena Vista Pictures. If you know anything about Buena Vista Pictures, it is Disney. Um, and I just real the, the real quick logline is it's Joe Pesci and Danny Glover and they're fishing enthusiasts, but they suck at fishing. Um, they suck and at the only, everything. Absolutely. You also have to understand this is post Dumb and Dumber, and there were a lot of these buddy comedies that were coming out where the characters were becoming stupider because the big uh big film companies thought that that's what people wanted because dumb and dumber was such a hit essentially the plot is and it's very loose so i'm gonna danny glover uh plays gus green joe pesci plays joe waters Ugh. And they're two fishermen, and they're, like, going, um, they live in New York, Newark, New Jersey, um, and they're, they're going down to the Florida Everglades to go angling, um, it's, they promise to be home by Thanksgiving. Capers ensue, they get involved with a, a criminal, a British con man who, like, steals their car. You also find out he's a murderer, which casually gets brought up later. They also run into these two women who were conned by this man, uh, played by Rosanna Arquette and Lynn Wheatfield. Um, and 
yeah, and it just goes on and on and on from there. And it's one mishap after another. And then none of it is funny. And clearly 90% of the dialogue was improv because almost all the dialogue between Danny Glover and Joe Pesci is like bad improv where one of them says something and the other person just repeats it. And then the other person repeats it. And then the other person repeats it. What's wrong with us anyway, Gus? I mean, hey, 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 we work hard. We got great families and kids, yeah. beautiful wives. Yeah. We work hard. We go to church. Yeah. Yeah. All we like to do is fish. We yeah, don't yeah. bother nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're lucky, Joe. Why does everything yeah. go wrong around us? Because we're lucky, Joe. We're lucky. Yeah, yeah. You, you said it all, Joe. We got great families. We got kids. Wives love us. You know, we go to church. We, we work hard. We love, All we do is want to go fishing. Yeah. 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 I never thought of it like that. Yeah, but that's good. We way. are lucky, huh, guys? We're lucky. We're lucky. Yeah. Gavin, I just, um, I was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, what was the name of that movie that I really fucking hated? <laughs> Found it. Clicked on the Wikipedia page. Scrolled down. Written by whomst? None other but J.J. Abrams. Oh. Oh, no. How dare. <laughs> How dare. Um, no, listen, okay, so this is the second pairing of Danny Glover and Joe Pesci. They were together in Lethal Weapon 2, which right. I actually think Lethal Weapon 2 is very good. I think Danny Glover is a straight guy, Mel Gibson is like the cocaine crazy action guy, and then they added Joe Pesci to kind of be like this comedy humor guy, and I think it works really well. There's like, you get a little bit of everything, and they're all very good at what they're doing. In this movie, you just get two idiots and not (laughs) and i mean i'm sorry but like jim carrey they are not you know like the reason why dumb and dumber works is because it's so over the top these are like comedic geniuses joe pesci and danny glover they are just not the ones i think not i think not originally this film was said to be made in the early 90s and joe and gus were offered to john candy and rick moranis I read some reports that said, oh, they were they were both busy and they turned it down for other projects. I've also read reports where they were like, but John Candy died and Rick Moranis retired. <laughs> Which mm. is like a, a bad sign to begin with. But also, um, uh, John, John G. Uh, Avildsen was set to direct the movie and had worked on the film for two weeks. Disney didn't like what he was doing. Um, so they fired him, but still had to pay his $2 million salary and then hired Christopher Kane to replace him. So like this movie was already bleeding money to begin with. And then on top of all this to add insult to injury for this bad, terrible movie. And Danny Glover has admitted in interviews, he did this movie solely for money. Um, the, a, a stunt woman died. A stunt woman <gasps> died for this movie. What the fuck? Um, there's a scene where a boat is made to jump a ramp um and it landed on top of her um and her oh husband God. and father-in-law were also injured in this Holy accident fuck. i hate that so much like this movie is not worth anything certainly not anyone's life holy shit that makes me so sad um in uh, in the book red lobster white trash and the blue lagoon joe queenan the author of that says that he was so embarrassed about Joe Pesci that he'd been known to wait outside cinemas showing the film uh, and give customers their money back on behalf of the American Celluloid Retribution Society. Holy um, shit. It, yeah. it, 
holds and once again i don't have any trust in um review aggregate sites but it does hold a four percent on rotten tomatoes just to give you sort of the critical consensus it is maybe my least favorite movie i've seen for this entire podcast i will say yeah i i ranks up there yeah because it it's uh it's tough i i i I, yeah down there i stopped it in the middle of it and came back like two days later because i was like i have to finish this movie so yeah and like let's not even real quick though before we do move on um when we do our five star reviews and our one star reviews i oftentimes always try and make sure it's based on performance and i also once again i have to say danny glover's not doing anything here genuinely not doing it there's a scene where he sleepwalks it's maybe one of the least funny things i've seen in a very long time i just (laughs) i hated the i hated the whole experience of this film yeah the one good thing about this movie and there is only one is that um carol kane plays joe pesci's wife and she is always yes but she's she does nothing, but she's always a delight. But she does nothing. But she's too fucking good for this nonsense. Carol Kane. She's too good. Get she's out of too here. good. Carol Kane, we love. We love. We stand. Um I mean, I I want to ask if if there's any other films that you saw that you didn't particularly like, but I feel like that's kind of a minefield because of sort of what we talked about, the fact that he does right. a lot of low budget films and um I I right. think I don't have the t- I don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I you know I think the uh, I really hated Muhammad Ali's Greatest Fight, which was an HBO film he did in 2013 for Stephen Frears, and um, he's not really in the movie that much, so I I wouldn't give it my one star review for him because I don't think he was bad in it. Um, but it's it's a bad movie. Um, I hated 2012. He's not necessarily the problem. He does get a good Independence Day speech. Uh, okay, seat, so okay. I'll, gi- I'll give him that. Um, and uh, I know I'm probably not making any friends here, but I uh, I didn't really like Operation Dumbo Drop, uh, mostly because um, I thought it was really strange that it's a film about the Vietnam War that's not about the Vietnam War at all. Okay. Gavin, it's for children. Relax. I know, but come on. Then don't then choose another war. Choose something that's simpler. <laughs> um, oh, oh, and I did also actually did want to give a, a good shout out to Pushing Dead, which is on uh, Amazon Prime, which is uh, not a good movie. Sorry. The uh, only thing I can say is that um, he was in Proud Mary, my least favorite movie, my one star yes. review in 2018. In 2018. I meant to watch it just because I know no. how much you hated it, but, but no. I didn't. I didn't. Because I kept you in my heart, Louis. Thank you. That's the biggest disappointment of all. Proud Mary. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, mo- let's, let's move on. Yeah, let's move into our five-star reviews. <laughs> on the reverse of how easy it was for me to pick my one-star review, I'm in a bit of a crossroads. Um, yes. I will admit. A Britney Spears um, crossroads. A Britney Spears crossroads. I think if I can talk about the other one... I'll, I'll feel better about picking this one. So I think my favorite performance, I have to say, is 1998's Beloved. I know that's probably controversial with you because you did not seem to enjoy it as much. But I think there's something about 
his performance because there's so many layers to the character that he's playing in the movie. I think there's something to his character of Paul D who is both attempting to grapple with the sins of slavery, a life in which he spent um, subservient to other people and the process of becoming a full person. He, he said in this one interview about playing Paul D was like, being a child that's learning to say no for the first time. Beloved, it's about finding the self. What does it mean to find the self? A baby finds itself when he says no for the first time. Yeah. A baby finds self no when he says mm. This was about that. It's the most important journey and part of the healing process is dealing with the issue of slavery. Part of my country's healing process Whenever, if it ever gets to it, it's dealing with what slavery was and what it did to these human beings. And I think, I thought these men and women who came out of this horror, the most courageous people I ever met. And that's really what this character was, was, you know, this, this man who is so late in life realizing that he has a destiny and he has control of the things around him and and the people he talks to and the people he meets and he's put in this situation where he runs into an old um friendly uh person sethi who from his prior life at, at you know they're both on the same plantation together um they're both free now and he starts this relationship with her at the same time there is guilt and there's pressure and some of it comes in the form of a poltergeist that's in her house but other of it comes from the life that they that they you know led together when he finds out what she did in murdering one of her children um rather than having that child go back into a life of slavery uh he leaves he can't take it it shatters his his new reality that he's built for himself. I put my babies where they'd be safe. Didn't work though, did it? You boys gone. You don't know where. One girl's dead. The other can't get further than the yard. How did it work? They ain't at sweet home. School teacher ain't got them. Maybe this worse. It ain't my job to know what's worse, Paul D. It's my job to know what he is and to keep my children away from it. Because I'd rather know they had peace in heaven than live in a hell here on earth. So help me, Jesus. What you did was wrong, Seth. I should have gone back there, took my babies, back to sweet home. Yeah, there could have been a way, some other way. What way, Paul D? You got two feet, Seth, not four. You can set aside supper for me. And I think the way that a lot of that is played is so heartbreaking and so deep. I also think, um, as I mentioned before, it's Jonathan Demi. He does a lot of direct address where the characters stare down the barrel of the camera, where they look directly at you. Most films, obviously, if you're doing a dialogue scene, um, you have your actors stare off 
to the side of the camera. And Jonathan Demme loved to have his characters look directly down the lens. <clears throat> and I think you see um, such a soulful uh, person in Paul D's eyes, such a, a person that is longing for um, what we would consider an, a normal life. And he thinks for a moment he might be able to have it with Sethi, but the her past trauma really ruins that for them. Um, it's such an interesting and it's a complicated character um, in a film of complicated characters. You know, he has to be both very stereotypically masculine, but also really sentimental and and loving and and fatherly to. Uh, uh, you know Denver who's not his own child um suspicious of beloved and yeah it's it's a complicated performance um and I think he he found a way to navigate a lot of that and plus uh lastly Oprah I don't know if it can be said enough because I think as you mentioned uh beloved has kind of become this punchline um part of it was also Oprah was this talk show host she was a TV host um she is so fucking good in beloved and she really like lays it out and lays it bare and i think she's such a, a warming scene partner such a welcoming scene partner and i think uh i don't know i think that made it easier for him to adapt and receive what she was putting out in the film um yeah so i i would i would give her some of the credit too for for helping craft that performance that he he has in the film Okay, but first yeah, of beloved. All, uh, it's, yeah. First of all, all I want to say is that that was very beautiful, Gavin. And I loved every second of you talking about Beloved and his performance because I think you're absolutely right. And what I'm thinking of is he's talked about how his um, his roots trace back to the South. And it reminds me of Sally Field and how, how she has said that her roots trace back to the South. And that they both have been called upon in their careers to play these characters in the South um, and all of what that means. Um, I think we see that in a very different way in Sally Field's Steel Magnolias. And I think we see that again here, not only in Beloved, but in a lot of his movies where he is um, a person who is having to deal with the circumstances of being a black man in the South in, in, in that specific time. Um, so I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Um, my reaction to this movie, and I think most people's reaction to this movie is it is hard to get through period from the beginning. And so it's even hard to even take in the performances, you know, um, I, uh, I don't, I, I guess I'm trying to like figure out like how much do I want to say about what happens in this movie? Um, there is violence in this movie that is not just, you know, uh, I've talked about this a lot of times before with um, other movies that have violence against people and violence against minority people. But this is not just about that. This is like beyond brutal, like brutal, brutal, brutal. And I think Oprah has said before, she was like, should we have made this more commercial? Should we have, you know, tried to made this an easier watch for people? But we didn't do that. And she's talked about how she felt like a failure. She felt into this depression after this movie came out. Um, but all that being said, it should not diminish what, as actors, they were called upon to do and what they did do. Um, because I think you're right. Uh, there is a lot. I think. I, th 
I always think about how uh, much uh, pain it must be for a modern actor to step into the role of someone who's having to deal with slavery or the trauma, PTSD of slavery um, for entertainment. That's fucking awful. Like, you right. know? Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Beloved is just not the easy white person movie to like be like oh yeah slavery was bad it's just not that movie it's violent and horrifying in a lot of different ways and not even just in the way of like white people were bad i was gonna say i and i do like the way that there's subtle things in the movie too where you know there there's a scene where denver's walking down the street with a boy and he has to physically move her out of the way and it just sort of happens in the background almost to physically move her out of the way of an oncoming group of white men um who Mm. are just clearly not just going to like walk through her and and i like that there's stuff that the movie's conscious enough to like comment on that like the racism is ingrained it doesn't it doesn't matter that these are free people now um they will always be lesser in the eyes of these white people i don't know and i i think i think the movie is very smart i do agree with you it is not an easy watch however if you are looking at it and you're like Oh, the runtime is what's keeping me away because it is an almost three hour film. I mean, so is the fucking last Avengers movie, you know? So like if you can sit through an Avengers movie, you can sit through <laughs> beloved based on, on runtime. Uh, but you're right. You're right. It is, it's not easy. It, it is really difficult. And it's, it's, um, and it's, you know, you do sort of have to steal yourself. Yeah. What's funny is though, it reminds me a lot of weirdly enough, good fences about black people who are dealing with trauma who have to make really awful decisions and maybe even the bad decision, the wrong decision based on what they've experienced. They cannot make the rational, normal person um, uh, uh, choice because they don't really have a choice. You know, society and um, America has put them in this box that they don't, they can't. Um, And so yeah, like in Good Fences, he is kind of like not a villainous character, but a bad character. He is, you know, being uh, kind of an asshole. And in the same way that Sethi is, you know, making very horrifying decisions. Um, but what is she? What, what what else does she have? What, what else could she do? Right. Um, so, yeah, very good, Gavin. I, I'm glad we got to talk about this because um, <laughs> that movie would have. I was me. nervous. I saw your tweet. I saw your tweet about being half an hour in, and I was like, well, "Oh God, oh no, are we gonna fight?" But well, literally yeah. five minutes in, I was like, "This is too much. This is too much." <laughs> but I, it's a movie that I think, you know, like it's like the same reaction I had with Twelve Years a Slave. It's like I have to get to this. I have to, you know, and not only just because like I like watching movies, but because there is truth here <laughs> and. Truth can be right. hard and painful, and um, it's you don't help yourself by blinding yourself to it. Um, but, not, I, but all that being said, you don't have to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Louis. So, what's your five star view? So, right, I think um, there are very important roles and good things that he's done. And there was honestly a little while where I was like, am I going to talk about Lethal Weapon one more fucking time? (laughs) Um, Just because I like him so much as this like straight man, family man. Um, And I I think it's like the most maybe um, foundational of his work. Um, 
and why America has fallen in love with him. Um, but actually, um, we're going to talk about a movie that we have brought up before, um, and it's 2016's Mr. Pig. Oh, I know. I and I remember. I, so I was watching this, and I was like, "Why have we talked about this?" And it's because it is directed by Diego Luna. Uh, a past um, episode um, we have talked about as an actor mostly. Um, and it's funny. So, I, you know, I watched a bunch of his old stuff um, and I thought, you know, a, a lot of his like politically minded stuff where he's so passionate, you know, beloved, The Color Purple, um, all these movies where he is clearly, I mean, even places in the heart, you know. Um, Mr. Pig, I watched... Um, as kind of like trying to just catch up what he's been doing in the past, uh, in the very recent past. Um, and so Mr. Pig is a 2016 movie directed by Diego Luna, also starring Maya Rudolph. And it is maybe one of the most uh, quiet but effective uses of Danny Glover. Um, I think a lot of these movies, like from 2010 to now, he's often cast as like crotchety, angry old man um, who can like maybe do the thing. Maybe he can't do the thing, you know, Um, but it's some version of that. Um, And Mr. Pig, he is a man who is fully realized. He has passions. He has dreams. He um, is a he's a, a, a pig farmer. And he is going, he's going to Mexico to sell a pig to one of his father's old friends. Um, I think his old friend's son. So like they have like this kind of familiar history. Um, and in the hands of Diego Luna, I think it is maybe one of the most respectful um, depictions of Mexico that I've seen. There's um, a lot of stuff that I think a lot of American filmmakers would just be like, Mexico is fucking crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> and they don't do that. Um, I know you saw it for Diego Luna's episode, right? Yes. Um, I don't, I have not gone back and listened to that episode in a long time. And I think I maybe perhaps didn't love it. I didn't rewatch it for this. Um, but I think I was talking about it more from, um, it was very clear. It was a first film for me. And I, and I did not love Diego Luna's, um, direction. And so perhaps I wasn't watching it from the angle of acting. And so that might be my bad. So, but I'm going to let you talk about it more. So I think I I was just so taken with, I was like, Danny Glover still fucking has it. And it's maybe because Danny Glover isn't the kind of actor that is going to take material and elevate it. Like he really needs like good material to go there and i just supremely enjoyed watching him and maya rudolph as a father and daughter duo dad it's me eunice open up doors open what the hell why is there a hog in your motel room what are you doing here? I'm looking for you. Close the door. Is he sick? Yeah, he's just fine. How could you just... How could you just take off like that? 
I'm busy, okay? Look, so if you want to help, help me. If not, quit bothering me. And also finally seeing him in one of these later in life roles, similar to watching Sally Field in Hello, My Name is Doris, um, that is like kind of like this perfect little gift of like showing off like this is a senior actor who is still fucking killing it. Um, and this is a very stubborn man who's got pride and he has wants and needs. And for him, he has this beautiful pig friend of his. It's this pig that he's raised and he's going to go sell it to a friend in Mexico. Finds out that this friend actually has kind of one of those very stereotypical um, slaughterhouses where, you know, animals are not treated well at all. He gets very shook and is like, fuck no, I'm taking my pig somewhere else. And he just has all this compassion and heart inside of him. And he decides, I'm going to go sell it to um, another friend um, who lives deeper into Mexico. And so him and Maya Rudolph and this pig go on this road trip. Um, and it's you realize that he is sick um and and you kind of get the sense that he what he wants for this pig is what he wants for himself this freedom they're able to just like be happy um and uh yeah it's just like very quiet beautiful you get uh, there's some funny moments i mean i can only imagine diego luna behind the camera just being like okay danny lover have some fun with this pig <laughs> um and <laughs> I don't know. It really felt like he was given some space to just, you know, be kind of like the actor that he is, as opposed to like these, a lot of these other lower budget movies that are kind of like D-list movies where he's, you know, like not a, a badass or, you know, crotchety old grandpa, you know, for laughs. This is a real human. Um, and I saw all these layers of, you know, him in Color Purple, Beloved, uh, even Lethal Weapon. It's like this family man, it, but he's older. And I, 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 I don't know. I just, I thought it was a very beautiful um, kind of, uh, f I don't want to say final act, but kind of, you know, I haven't seen, like, even <laughs> since then, you know, he doesn't have to be just like the dad who cares about the one thing. This is a man who's caring about himself and, um, wanting to end his life on his own terms um so yeah mr pig it's a sweet movie and it's on netflix so if anybody mm -hmm. wants to check it out it's easily mm -hmm. accessible um yes i i know we're going a little long on this one but is there anything else that you saw him in that you particularly really liked um, if you haven't already seen Places in the Heart from our last episode, I recommend it. Just be, I think he's very good in it. He's maybe one of my favorite parts of it. Um, like we mentioned, Silverado. I think that's a fun movie, like early. Him. Yeah. Um, um, what about I, you? I mentioned earlier The Saint of Fort Washington, which I think is definitely worth a look. And I, I really liked Honey Dripper. And I know it's, it's not a perfect film. I actually think it's maybe... It's a more middling film for John Sayles. I think he doesn't quite get the dialogue right. Normally his dialogue is really sharp and something like something like Passion Fish. But um, but I do think there's a lot going on that's worth looking into there. Um, I saw Honey Dripper. I thought it was fine. Yeah, that's that's sort of where I was too. Where I was like, 
this didn't, you know, blow my socks off, but it was, it was, you know, there. Good fences, as we mentioned. Yes. But I, I did mention I was torn at the beginning, and I, I don't want to go off on too much of a rant, but once again, if I had to pick a second five-star review, To Sleep With Anger is so, so good. And his performance as this devious entity, like, because he's, he is a man, he's a person, but like, he is this, this force in this film and he's constantly has yeah constantly has his knife out constantly you know just being real sinister glaring at Mm -hmm. people and even when he's being polite you know and and i i really think that that's a deep film more people should see before we get out of here let's do our our what mixed reviews reviews that's what we call it (laughs) i'm drunk now (laughs) so my one star review which was also shared with you is 1997's Gone Fishing. Gone Fishing. What a what a what a movie. <laughs> what a oh. what a movie that exists in the world. And yeah. my and my five star review was 1998's Beloved. Mine was 2016's Mr. Pig. And and you just really wax so eloquently about it that I might I might have to I might have to give it a rewatch. I don't know if it's a good, like, a well-made movie, but, you know, I really enjoyed his performance. Okay, so now we're in our fast-forward, and honestly, like we've mentioned before, Danny Glover does not stop working. Yeah. And so he he's just... There's so many things listed as to what to come. might come out, what might be the next thing. Yeah, and it's just, it's a lot of stuff, a, a lot of, like, he he has this movie called The Drummer that's in post-production, um, Killing Winston Jones, which uh, has apparently been completed, um, which looks like uh, it's a film with Richard Dreyfus and unfortunately Danny Masterson. Ooh, don't act oh. with Danny Masterson. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he has other things. Um, he's rumored to be in this movie called The Ninja He Will Rise, so yeah, there's, you like know, a fran- there's a lot of like there's a lot of like uh, D level um, franchises. I think I think the Ninja is one of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I I just don't know where his career is going. I don't know. He certainly does not give any fucks about no Hollywood and like you know being a quote unquote um, prestige actor. And like I said, in the last year we saw him, uh, we saw more of a, a turn towards the Hollywood stuff again, just for like, you know, a quick second between Jumanji and the next level, the dead don't die last black man in San Francisco. Um, admittedly, the last two I just mentioned are both independent films, but they had major crossover appeal. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to see where he goes and what he puts his clout behind, because at this stage, that's really what it is, is it's really like Danny Glover deciding what he's going yeah. to put his name on and, and see if it draws anybody. Um, and I kind of love that. I kind of like that he's just he's doing whatever he just wants like, to. He's also just, you know, in his seventies now. I I don't expect him right. to be in, you know, a lot of big budget, flashy movies. Um, he certainly has his pile of fuck you money. He can do whatever he wants. He has so many um NAACP awards, image awards that he, you know. Like he he's racked him up. The only thing I will say, yeah. and I feel like I say this for a lot of actors, is um, uh, he's only really in terms of like big stage performances ever done. Master Harold and the Boys, 
uh, as I mentioned, 1982 original Broadway cast. He also came back to the play in 2003 um, and played the role of Sam instead of Willie, which was the role that he originated. Um, but I would I would love right. to see him do something else on the stage because really that's like the big, big thing. Um, and we live in New York City and someday Broadway will reopen and, you know, maybe he'll get his God, chance. God help us, please. The last thing that I've seen him do was Last Black Man in San Francisco. And, um, you know, yeah, it's you kind of like can feel like the creakiness of him. Um, kind of same thing when I saw uh, Mr. Pig. Um, and so, yeah, who it'll be interesting to see what he's got left in the tank. Um, but he is a prolific man. He's given us plenty of amazing performances, plenty to the canon of black American film. And so to that, I say thank you, Danny Glover, for your work and service. Um, and we are just um, blessed and lucky to get whatever else he decides to give us because we don't deserve anything else. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, that brings us to the end of Danny Glover, which I think was a, a good and complete episode. Um, but if you want to contact us online about any of our previous episodes or this episode, you can contact us on Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. You can also contact us on Facebook. Just type in the mixed reviews. If you want to email us, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, the underscore mixed underscore reviews. We have a bunch of bonus video content that Gavin makes. They're excellent. And you can listen to us anywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, iHeartMedia. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and I know I say this every episode, but please leave us a five-star rating and a review. If you review us, it helps get the word for the podcast out and other people can listen to us too. And we get to expand our little film family here. Our little film empire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, thank you so much everybody for listening Louie and I are going to go talk about what our next subject's going to be and um, and then maybe we'll have a couple other surprises you never know yeah we um, never know um, yeah we're going to really try hard to um, work on a mixed reviews watch party situation um, watch twitter please closely we'll have some options for some movies we'll do a little Netflix party um, party and play who knows um, just kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you guys for listening. Stay safe out there, and we will see you in two ish weeks. Bye bye. Bye, everyone. Well, don't send me no doctor. Oh, the doctor can't do me no good. Now, don't you send me no doctor. Well, a doctor can't do me a bit of good See, it's all my fault I didn't do the things I should